I want to start a new series with you all this morning, uh, one that's going to take us right up to about Thanksgiving time. So buckle in and get ready for kind of an extended series, but it's going to have a lot of different pieces to it. Uh, often at this time of year, what I will do, uh, and also not just once a year, but usually twice a year, um, I will teach a, a Sunday school class that is called CNMA DNA which is geared toward newcomers to First Alliance Church, and we spend a lot of time in that Sunday school class introducing people to the beliefs and the values and the mission of our denomination, which for those of you who may be kind of new here is called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Uh, we, we almost did that again this year, but, but several weeks ago I sensed the Lord kind of leading me to change plans. And so right now, I, I know that... Um, I know that at FAC, a lot of you are here, and you're relatively new to our church, relatively new to, to the denomination, relatively new to, to what's going on here, and um, you know very little about this movement of which we are a part. And my sense also is that most of the rest of you uh, would probably really appreciate and I think really benefit from a review of who we are and what makes us tick. And so what I'm going to do is for the next 12 or 13 weeks, I'm actually going to preach through the content of the CNMA uh, DNA series. But I, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. This is not a 13-week seminar on the Christian and Missionary Alliance. This is not just an introduction to a denomination. We are not going to be using you know, the, the, the manual of the CMA and our founding documents for sermons or anything like that. We're going we're gonna to speak from God's Word. And this series is not really just going to be all about the alliance. It's going to be all about Jesus. Yes. Um, when, when people come up to you and they find out where you go to church, and you say, well, you know, they say, where do you go to church? You say, I go to First Alliance. And they'll say, huh, that's interesting. It doesn't sound like Baptist or Presbyterian or Methodist or Lutheran or anything like that. So what is it? What is this alliance? It sounds kind of militaristic maybe. And uh, there's a couple ways to answer that question. The, um, the easiest way... And the way that maybe is easiest in conversation is to say, well, we're, we're a lot like the Baptists, but we're a little bit less uptight about a few things than they are. Um, and, and we have more missionaries per capita than, than most other churches. So, I mean, I've said it like, I haven't said it exactly like that. And by the way, I'm just poking fun. I know some of you are here uh, and you have a Baptist background. As I do, I, have, I thank the Lord for the godly Baptist churches that I've been part of, including the one where I came to know Jesus Christ. So that is, that's, we, we, we pick because we love in that case. Um, or you could give the more spiritual answer. What is alliance? We could say, well, the alliance is all about Jesus. And you know what? That's vague, but it's true. It's true. That's, that is actually who we are. Now, they may follow up, or they may just say, oh, that sounds really spiritual. I think that's the end of the conversation. Or they may say, well, what do you mean by that? How so? How, how could you say that your church is all about Jesus, and what does that mean? And so for the next four weeks, which is really the beginning of this particular series, we're going to be learning about who Jesus is to us, particularly that he is our Savior, that he is our sanctifier, which is a big $64 word that you'll learn about next week, that he is our healer, and that he is our coming king. We refer to this in the CNMA as the fourfold gospel. Uh, after that, we'll be taking seven weeks and talking about the seven core values of the Christian Missionary Alliance. I don't have time to name them right now, so I won't. But again, please know this is not talking about a denomination, not really, because we believe strongly that when we look at God's Word, we will find out that these are not just the core values of the Alliance, 
but we believe that they're the core values of Jesus himself. And so as we learn about the CNMA in some respects and what makes us tick, we're really going to be talking about Jesus and what makes him tick. So let's go ahead and get started. Let me ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And we'll start looking at the first part of this fourfold gospel, which is Jesus Christ, our Savior. When you get to Matthew 1, go ahead and turn to verse 18, and we'll read verses 18 to 21. You may find these verses somewhat familiar. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." A few of you know that I complain sometimes at Christmas time that pastors are expected to preach four Christmas sermons every year because there's four Sundays of Advent. You're supposed to talk about Christmas for four times a year. And um, as of December coming up, this will be my 22nd Christmas at First Alliance Church. So if you do the math, that's 88 Christmas sermons. Um, and let me tell you a secret. There are not 88 Christmas passages in the Bible, um, even if you uh, define that very generously. So the question becomes, why would I waste a perfectly good Christmas text on September 17th? Well, the answer is because it gets right to the heart of what I want to address with you this morning. In fact, uh, we're really going to leave most of this passage largely untouched because what I really want to do is just focus on one half of one verse. In particular, I want to talk to you about the second half of verse 21. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Okay, those of you who have kids, how did you go about naming your children? How did you go about selecting the names of your kids? That, uh, that, I don't know what that process was like for you. It's a, it's, that custom is very different in different cultures. It's changed over the years. It's different today than it was a long time ago. It strikes me that we have gotten very creative uh, in America these days about baby names. Uh, I'm not going to give any examples because I don't want to offend any of you or your siblings or your cousins or whatever because they named their child after their favorite breakfast cereal or salad dressing or whatever it might have been. But, but a lot, for a lot of us, I think what we're looking for is a name, that's, a name that's kind of different. It's not like everybody else's name, but not totally weird, right? Um, like Dawn and I were looking for biblical names for our kids, but not Methuselah or, you know, Nebuchadnezzar or whatever. So we, you know, we ended up, um, Nathan and Daniel were not really top five names at the time, but I suppose they ended up being pretty conventional. But that's how we do it today. But names back in first century Israel, it was a lot different how you pick your kid's name. They weren't meant to be unique. They weren't meant to be nice sounding. Uh, they, they, instead, the, the, um, the names were, were often based on actual Hebrew words and sounded like those words, and, and so the names actually carried a lot of, of meaning. And in this case, the angel who appears to Joseph in this dream makes it really easy. Joseph doesn't have to consult a baby name book or, or ask his friends for ideas or have a talk with Mary about it. No, 
The angel says, Here, here's your baby's name. It's Yeshua. Joshua. It's only the name Joshua. The Greek form is Jesus. That's what he was to name his son. Now, it's not a unique name. In fact, he's not only the, Jesus is not the only person in the New Testament that even has the name Jesus. There's at least one other one. But the name has a meaning, and the meaning is God saves. God saves, or even God is salvation. So the very name that was given to this baby, to Jesus, identifies him as Savior. And this is the first and most basic way in which we come to know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, you don't know him at all. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, you don't know him at all. The name Jesus means a lot, doesn't it, to a lot of people today, even outside the church. He's a great teacher. He's a philosopher. He's a great man. He's a great leader. He's, he's the founder of a religion. But none of those things really mean anything at the end of the day unless Jesus is a Savior, and even for us, Jesus is a lot of things to us, and we sing about it every Sunday morning. He's so many things to us as Christians. He is a teacher. He's a leader. He's an example. He's a king. He's a healer. He's our hope. He's our provider. He's our brother. He's our friend. I could go on and on and on, but before you can know Jesus in any of these ways, you must first know him as your Savior. That's the way in the door. And today, most of us actually, if we admit it, have trouble with the idea of a Savior. Because the only people that need a savior are people who are in desperate trouble or, or can't do life on their own. And that's not us. Because we, we, you know, we have a lot more to ourselves than that. And we don't mind having a helper or a coach or an advisor or a teammate or maybe even a counselor or a teacher, but, but, but saviors, saviors are not for people like us who mostly have it all together and just need kind of a boost. No, saviors are for people who are profoundly messed up. People who can't help themselves. Saviors are for people who don't have what it takes. That's who needs a savior. What did Jesus say? He said, blessed, lucky, probably the best translation is fortunate. Blessed are the people who are poor in spirit. Blessed are the ones who, who look inside of themselves to see if they've got what it takes and they find nothing. That's who's blessed. Why are those people blessed? Well, because they're the only ones that know that they need a Savior. And it turns out, Jesus says, that theirs is the kingdom of heaven, not the people who have it all together. Jesus told a story one time about a son uh, most of you know the story of the prodigal son, the son who got his dad to give him his inheritance early, and then he went off to live life on his own far away from home, and after squandering all of this money that he had on reckless living, and he ended up as a hired hand feeding pigs, and he was impoverished, and he was starving, and he wanted to eat the, the food that he was serving to the pigs. And, and Jesus says in the story that there was a moment when this man, literally translated, this man came to himself. He suddenly came to himself. Well, what happened there? Well, he finally came to his senses. He finally came to reality. And he said, what am I doing? Why, why did I ever think this would work? Why was I so slow to admit that I can't save myself? See, to find Jesus as your Savior, you first need to come to terms with the fact that you are desperately broken. 
You are desperately broken. Now, notice I didn't say worthless. I said broken. You and I were created in the very image of God, and because of that, we have an inherent dignity and worth that can never be denied. But that image has been twisted, it's been warped, and we see the warping of that image in our behavior and the way that it's messed up our lives. But we don't see that really clearly until like that prodigal son in the story that Jesus was telling, until we come to ourselves. So we come to ourselves. Have you gotten to the point where you know that you need a savior, not a helper, not a coach, not a boost, but a savior, someone to save you? If that's the case, I've got good news because that's who Jesus is. That's why he came. It's his very name, as a matter of fact. But let's go on and look at another phrase from the very end of this verse and maybe complete the picture a little bit more. He will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. When, I, when I'm teaching the CMA DNA Sunday school class, um, I, I probably should do it and not just talk about it, but what happens is I, I always ask them, if you've been through the class, you know that I always ask this question on about the second week. I say this, what if I came running into this room and I was shouting, save me, save me, please, somebody please save me. And I asked the, the class, what would you say to me? And they always say the same thing. From what? From what? Is the building on fire? Is there somebody roaming the halls with a gun? Did Dawn catch you using her sticky pads as a coaster again? <laughs> what do you need to be saved from? And that's a very important question. Okay, so let's say we believe the first part here. The world is broken. Humanity is broken. You and I are broken, so broken that we need a Savior. So the question becomes, well, what is the root of the brokenness? What is the source of this brokenness? If, if Joseph were to, to, to have this visit from the angel or this dream, and he were to freeze frame the angel after the first part of the sentence and guess how it would end, it might go something like this. So the angel shows up and says, you'll call his name Jesus because he will save his people, freeze frame, from the Romans. You know. You'll call his name Jesus because he will save his people from oppression. You'll call his name Jesus because he'll save his people from all the bad leadership and teaching they've been getting lately. Now we know those things are all true, but you know what? That's not what the angel said, right? A lot of people today have a lot of different ideas about what the big problem with humanity is. Most people agree there's a problem, but the solution depends on the problem. You see, if humanity's problem is, as many are saying today, that we are trapped in a corrupt system, and that corrupt system leads to oppression or inequity or loss of freedom, however you might define those things, either from the left or the right, then salvation, if that's the case, if it's all about a broken system, then salvation will need to come from a political or economic revolution of some kind because the system needs to be reformed or replaced. On the other hand, if humanity's brokenness comes from, say, a lack of knowledge and expertise or from the inability maybe to find enough food and energy to provide for everybody and make everybody happy, and, and because we're all competing for scarce resources, that's why we all act the way we do. If that's the problem, then salvation can come through science and technology, which is, if you think about it, that's what happened in, in the Star Trek universe, for instance. You know, we invented warp drive and the replicator and everything was fine. Everyone started getting along. 
Or if humanity's brokenness comes from, say, bad thinking or or maybe a poor self-image that we all have, or maybe some chemical imbalances in our brains, then salvation will come from where? Well, it will come from the psychologist and from the psychiatrists and from, and from counselors and spiritual advisors. A lot of people are on that bandwagon today. God's Word says no. No, it goes deeper than that. Those things are all real, but they are ultimately all symptoms of a much deeper problem, which is called sin. And if we, if we somehow fixed all those problems in the way we're thinking of, and all those things happened and we took all that away, there'd still be a problem. The Israelites of Joseph's day did not just need to be saved from Rome. They needed to be saved from sin. And, and so that was going to take a very special kind of savior because sin is a very deep problem. What is sin? There are a lot of different definitions I could give you. Let me, let me stick with this one for today at least. Sin is the rebellion against God that started, for humanity at least, in the Garden of Eden when our first parents decided they wanted to be their own gods and chart their own course apart from the God who made them and loved them. And yeah, it's easy to throw Adam and Eve under the bus, but we do the same exact thing when we fail to recognize, obey, glorify, and thank God who has made us and given us everything that we have. Instead, what we do is we follow our own lusts, our own imaginations, our own selfish motives. Sin is not just messing up and making a mistake. Those things don't require a savior. Saviors are for sinners. Saviors are for guilty rebels. Saviors are for people who decided to sin because it's become part of their very nature and who have used their free will to make themselves slaves to their own selfish and corrupt desires. That's who saviors are for. So if that's you, if that's you, then you qualify for the salvation that Jesus brings. On the other hand, if all you've done is make some stupid mistakes, then you don't qualify. Because as someone once said, you can't fix stupid. Right? Well, maybe Jesus can, but that's not why he died. Jesus didn't die for stupid. Jesus didn't die for mistakes. He died for sin. So if what you really are is a guilty sinner standing hopelessly condemned before a holy God with no way to defend yourself, now we're talking. Now we're talking because that's what Jesus saves from. He saves from that predicament. And here's where we need to bring in another little word from this phrase, but it's an important one. He shall save his people from their sins, from their sins. As Joseph thought back over the history of his people, the Israelites, he, he could very easily point to so many times in their history that the people of Israel had, had suffered as a result of other people's sins, right? The sins of the Egyptians, who had enslaved them so long ago, the sins of the Philistines who had attacked them so mercilessly, the sins of the Midianites or the Assyrians or the Babylonians and most recently the Romans. But his people, Joseph's people, the angel said, had to be saved not primarily from the sin of others but from their sins, from their own sins. I'm sure many of you have heard the, the story um, famous story about the old British author G.K. Chesterton who lived in the first part of the 20th century. He, he wrote back to a popular periodical one time in response to a survey this magazine was conducting. And the survey was just a one question, and the question was, what is wrong with the world? And they were inviting people to, to chime in. And so he wrote back, and here was his response. 
He said, what is wrong with the world? I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. So there you go. G.K. Chesterton was the Taylor Swift of his generation, right? <laughs> Hello, I'm the problem, it's me. But you see the point he's making. Almost all of us are very quick to point elsewhere when it comes to what's wrong with the world, right? It's the government. It's the schools. It's the greedy multinational corporations. It's the entertainment industry. It's the Hindus or the Muslims or the Christians or the Jews. That's whose fault the world's problems are. Well, what about the problems in your life? What about the ones that are kind of closer to home? What causes that? Well, it, it, it's my employer. It's my neighbor. It's my family. It's my father. It's my spouse. It's my health problems. It's, it's, it's my upbringing. If not for that, everything would have been okay. Now, there's no doubt that some of those things play a role in the world's problems, and there's no doubt that some of those things that I just mentioned certainly play a role in our individual issues. But the sin that causes our brokenness ultimately is our own, our own sin. We have all rebelled against God. We've all done our own thing. We've all tried to become our own God. Isaiah puts it this way. We're all like sheep who have gone astray. We've turned each one of us our own direction, our own way. We are all guilty of sin. And the person who receives Jesus as Savior is the person to come to terms, come to terms with his own sin, owns up to it, confesses it, and recognizes that only Jesus can remove the guilty stain that goes with it and the judgment that results from it. Okay, we need to step back and just look at one more phrase, and we'll be done. He will save his people from their sins. Who are his people? Who are the ones that Jesus is going to save? I'm, I'm reasonably certain that when Joseph heard this prophecy, and for that matter, when Mary heard the prophecy from the angel that visited her, I think they assumed the angel had to be talking about the nation of Israel, right? I mean, after all, that was, that was their people. That was going to be the people that defined this baby, at least ethnically and religiously. And, and he was the Messiah. He was the king of, of the Jews. He was the king of Israel. And so Jesus was going to be a savior in some way for, for God's chosen people, the Jewish people. But an interesting thing, though, if you read the Old Testament, you'll find this. <clears throat> that yes, Israel was definitely God's people. The Jews absolutely are God's chosen people. But they were also supposed to be a light for the other nations of the world. They were supposed to lead the other nations of the world to the one true God just by example and by being in the midst of all these other nations. And you see in the time of David and Solomon especially that that's starting to happen just a little bit, but then the light kind of goes out mostly. mostly. And, and, but the thought was among godly Jews of the time that, you know what, if we could just get our act together, if Israel could just get its act together and be the nation that God wanted it to be, then they would truly be that light for the nations and that would be their glory. That would be the glory of Israel. That would be, in the words of Isaiah, Israel my glory, shining in the midst of the nations, the north and south of them. And maybe Joseph thought that this is what the angel was saying, that, that, that this son, this Jesus, would one day lead Israel to that place. But the truth ended up being even better than that. You see, soon after the baby Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary took him to be dedicated at the temple of Jerusalem. And when they got there, there was this old man named Simeon that came to meet them. And Simeon uh, took the baby in his arms, and he looked down into the face of this baby Jesus. And as he was looking down into the face of Jesus, here's what he said. 
he said, Lord, now I can die in peace because I've seen your salvation. I've seen the light for the nations. I've seen the glory of Israel. He said those three things. I've seen your salvation, I've seen the light of the nations, and I've seen the glory of Israel. Jesus, the baby himself, was salvation. Jesus, the baby himself, was the glory of Israel. And Jesus, the baby himself, was the light for the nations. It was him. What Simeon saw is what the Apostle Paul was later on going to call the great mystery of Christ, that the Savior of Israel was also the Savior of the world. And that when the angel told Joseph he will save his people from their sins, he wasn't just talking about the Jews. He was talking also about the people who had always been on the outside looking in when it came to the things of God. He was talking about the Gentile people. He was talking about the unclean people, the people with no spiritual pedigree who had been, in the words of Ephesians 2, without God and without hope in the world. He was talking about those people. So he was talking about you and me. You and me. And this means the phrase his people in Matthew 121 is actually an open invitation for any of us to become one of his people. An open invitation for you and me to come freely to the Savior of Israel and to make him our Savior as well. No matter where you've come from, no matter what ethnicity you are, no matter what religion you were born into, no matter how bad of a sinner you are, nobody is excluded from that promise. The only qualification for being saved by Jesus is to recognize your brokenness, what causes it, and who is responsible for it, and then to bring that to the cross of Christ, to the cross of Christ, where it was paid for and forever erased and canceled. To fall on the mercy of Jesus, confess your sinfulness, and ask him to give you your life back on the virtue of his death and resurrection in your place. To give you your life back new, brand new, and ready to be lived for him. That's, right. That's the gospel message. Is it a message for you this morning? Is it a message for you this morning? Do you feel a tug in your spirit right now that God is directing these words right at your heart and that it's time to make Jesus not just the Savior of the world theoretically, but your Savior? And then for the rest of us who already know Jesus personally, is this not a message for all the people in our lives, our family, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, and whoever else God either brings into our sphere of influence or gives us a burden to reach out to? Is it not a message for them? They know something's wrong with the world. Everybody knows something's wrong with the world. They may or may not have any idea what the root cause really is, and they may or may not be willing to admit that they're part of the problem. They may be blaming everybody and everything else for the world's problems and for their own problems. That's okay. It's not your when God opens the door to tell them what you've discovered in your own life. That it wasn't just the world that was broken. It was me. And the brokenness came from sin. And ultimately the sin was mine. But a man who was God came to earth 2,000 years ago and died for that sin on a Roman cross. And he died for yours too. And he invites you to trust in him. He's Jesus. Yeshua.
Christ our Savior. Let's pray.